Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Joachim Brax was born at the seaside in Belgium and had a successful career as a singer and composer before turning to entrepreneurship. As he healed himself from trauma, grew as a human being, and connected with others and himself more deeply, he decided to help others walk a similar path. This is how the podcast Relating to Self was born based on the insight that the most important relationship we will ever have is the one we have with ourselves. Hello, everyone. Today, we're very honored to have Joachim Brox, who is a curious human. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sonia. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell me about yourself. I know you're a teacher on Inside Timer, but Mm. I also see that you're a singer and a composer. Your passion is ethics, compassion, and having good food, which we all like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, that covers the basic. I I guess I'm, I would call myself a curious human, you know, Mm -hmm. in the sense that I like to explore what life offers. I have not limited myself to just one slice of what we can do in this life. And as you mentioned, I've been a musician. I was a singer and a composer for about 20 years. I had many concerts all over the world, and that was a wonderful experience. And then after that, for reasons of mostly, I would say, autonomy and Mm -hmm. a sense of agency, I decided to leave that world and become an entrepreneur instead. I then went through a quite long phase that is still in progress, I would say, of examining my trauma, healing my trauma, uh, understanding myself going through therapy and all these kind of things. And through that process, I have come to certain understandings and certain things, certain practices, certain rituals that help me navigate life and navigate my relationship with myself. That's kind of like the the core essence of what I'm exploring right now in life, is this idea of how we relate to ourselves. As in the relationship to ourselves is the only relationship that we will always be in, no matter what happens. And in that sense, it becomes the most important relationship of my life. And if I look at my life, it's probably also the relationship that I have the most neglected throughout my life. Like, you know, how do I treat myself? How kind am I to myself? How do I show up for myself? Can I trust myself? All these things. And that has been at the core of my exploration of life in the past years or so. Yes, it's amazing how our self-talk is so bad on us in a way that we would never address someone else in that way. I find the hardest part is catching that we're doing that. Hmm. How, when did you first start catching it within yourself? And when you changed from your career as touring in the music industry, what made you say, enough. This is not my soul. This is not who I am Mm. anymore. Because it sounded lucrative. Um, Not really. I was to be (laughs) to be clear, I was a musician in the classical music world. So I was a composer of 
contemporary classical music and a singer of mostly Renaissance polyphony and early Baroque, which definitely was not a very lucrative career choice. It was definitely a choice from the soul, (laughs) like you would say. You know, when I was 17, 18, and I needed to decide what to become in life and hence what to study, I was all set to become a civil engineer. That was my career path. My father's a mathematician. My mother studied mathematics as well. My father actually was a professor in the Department of Civil Engineering in the university where I went. But then at the very last minute, I felt this pull, like, hey, you know, I can do this, and I'm interested in all these subjects, but I don't want to be an engineer. If I think about what I want to be, I want to be an artist. I want to be a composer. I want to imagine and make and create music and touch people. You know, that was what I was called to do. And so I spent a considerable amount of time and energy and a great part of my life pursuing that, which was wonderful. But then the the switch for me came when I started realizing that I was not living my own life. Most of my life choices were made by other people, specifically as a touring singer. You know, people give you a schedule and they tell you, you know, you have to be there at 6 a.m., We'll take you on a bus to an airport. We'll fly you somewhere. You'll have half an hour to eat. You'll go to the hotel. You get dressed. You go rehearsing. Um, you have a dinner, if possible. Then you have a show. You go to bed very late, and you get up very early the next morning to go to a plane again and, you know, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. And that cycle, I mean, it's very exciting work. Don't, don't get me wrong, and I loved every minute of it. I had amazing experiences. But in the end, I felt as if I was not in charge of my life. I had no agency over what I wanted to do. And I started noticing that that was not making me happy anymore. And it's really interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of Ikigai. No, I'm not. Ikigai is this concept that is used a lot now also in coaching practices and stuff. And it's basically to make people understand what their essence is or what they should be doing. It's a combination of what you're good at, what you love doing, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. And so coaches often say, if you have all of these four you know, you're there. That's your ikigai. That's your place. I need that. Yeah. Well, let me take you one step further. I had that with my musical career. I was really good at music. I loved doing it. I was getting paid for it. And I truly believe the world needs music. From that kind of perspective of that coaching principle of ikigai, I had everything I needed. But there was one element that was crucial that was missing for me. And that was lifestyle. What does my life actually look like day to day? living my life day to day. What is my experience of life? And I had no freedom. I had no time to myself. I had no space to explore other things that interested me. And so I decided to step away from music in order to choose a path in which I would be responsible for how I spent my time, with whom I spent my time, and so that I could intentionally design the kind of life and lifestyle that I wanted to experience. That was the essence of this practice. When did it change for you? Was it, you know, recently, a couple years ago? How long have you been following this path? Mm. I think that must have been around eight years ago, like maybe eight, nine years ago that I started actually doing something about it. I felt it earlier. I would say even probably like 15 years ago, I already felt like, wait, there's something here that I'm not entirely on board with, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't name it. I couldn't grasp it, so I had no idea what to do instead. And it took me quite a while to gather enough courage 
to step away from something I loved so much that paid for my life and go into a path of entrepreneurship for which I had no clue. <laughs> like I had no experience. I had no idea what to do. And I just jumped in a black hole, basically. And I had to reinvent myself from the ground up. It's amazing how if you're in touch with your inner being or your soul or whatever you have affinity with, you do the jump. You just do it. You know it's within you to make that move. I did the same thing. I've been an actor for a long time. Mm. I wasn't happy with it. And the same thing, there's no control. You have absolutely no control. I wanted more control of my, my life and where it was going. So I totally understand where this came into being. And I actually did it about six years ago. I just said, left the job I was at, didn't know where I was going. And I, you just know, you just need to move on. When you jumped into the abyss of unknown, what the first thing you did to try to make a living or trying to change your perspective? Well, one thing that helped me a lot Mm -hmm. is I, I read a book at the time. I don't remember exactly the, I don't remember what book it is, but I remember reading this, that like one of the easiest ways to facilitate a big change in your life is to make sure that you have enough money to live from for a year. Because if you move away from a job or a position or anything like that, that gives you security and you have nothing else, you will start doing things out of fear, out of scarcity, because you need the money to survive, right? Sure. So I, I heeded that advice and I made sure that I had saved enough money to live from for a year, no matter what happened. And that gave me the psychological safety to know like, hey, I can take some time here to think about what it is that I want to bring into this world and how I want to create value for the world without having this pressing need for like creating income right now. Because I've had that before, like during my early musician career, when I was still uh, not getting paid at all, I was doing odd jobs in between, you know, that was just because I needed the money to survive. But then having that money in the bank allowed me to take some space, take some time. And with that space and time, I mostly read. <laughs> I read as many books as I could about entrepreneurship, about creating value, about marketing, about the kind of principles that apply to this world and how I could then create something that I was excited about using those principles. That was what I did. There's always going to be a learning curve with everything you do, but to finally do it, there's just like a peace and a curiosity that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Do you go back to music at all on like your own personal without having to work with anybody? Do you do it for yourself now instead of doing it as a show or for income? That's a great question, Sonia. I'm currently not pursuing that. Also, I have to say it's a bit complicated. The kind of music that I am into mm -hmm. is almost defined by a group, is defined by the interactions you have with other musicians. I never made the kind of music that you just make on your own. And also as a performer, I was always part of an ensemble of a group of people with different roles, different functions. And so all of my musical imagination happens in that kind of world where I would get together with like three or four other people and then design interactions, design a language, a common language, and then create something from that. So I find I could, of course, 
I could go into, for example, um, some kinds of electronic music that I find quite interesting that I could create on my own. But I haven't done that because that was not the kind of music that interested me. I was most interested specifically towards the end of my career as music as interaction between people. There is something magical that happens when people are together on a stage. And I'm sure as an actress, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And it's, it's that magic that I was trying to optimize for in my music. And I can't create that on my own. Yes, it's true. Because I've worked in TV, film and theater. And the most instantly gratifying is the theater. Because you're on stage and you're in front of people and you're singing and you're doing yeah. all of this. Yeah. So it is the most instant gratifying, yeah. you know, yeah. gratifying. And I think it's not impossible that I will go back to this at some point in my life. Mm -hmm. But that will be, let's say, under circumstances that I choose. <laughs> that will be yeah. on my own terms. And I don't know yet what that will look like. The reason I asked is because I come from a musical family. No matter what we did, and even myself, I really am not going to, I'm not pursuing music or anything like that, but I still love to sing. You know, I'll practice my vocals by singing something. It's not anything I want to make a business out of. It's not, but it's still within me to sing, to, to yes, want to sing. And yeah. Going back to the theme of this season of your podcast, you know, music is definitely a very big part of my soul. Yes. There is no question. There is no doubt. And I just find other ways to nourish that right now. You know, I, I have a passion for good quality audio material. You know, I'm a bit of a hi-fi nerd and <laughs> I listen to specific kinds of music that I really enjoy. And I listen to music intentionally. You know, I can just like take time to listen to something for an hour and a half with full concentration. Um, and that nourishes me as well in, in that part of my soul, let's say. It is amazing how music works that way. I don't pursue acting like I used to because you have no control. And I want something that I feel that I could have some control for, for the work that I do. So even though I still love it, I would be lying if I didn't. Sometimes I just, I don't want to, I don't want to watch anything. I don't want to watch a movie. I don't want to <laughs> do any of that because it's just, I'd rather listen to music or read. I've been really doing a lot of reading. So when you took your year off and doing all that reading, what kind of reading besides on how to do marketing and all of that? Because it seems like there's a, a big spiritual study within that. What people were you most influenced by? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's definitely also a spiritual journey in the sense that, as I said, it was, for me, it was a lot about lifestyle as well, right? So moving away from this musical world in which I had everything I needed and I loved doing what I did, but still I moved away from it because it was not the lifestyle that I wanted, forced me to think about like, wait, but what do I want to experience in life? What does my ideal life look like? And that's very much a spiritual inner, uh, inner exercise, right? You go inside and you look at your desires, where they come from. You look at what you need, you look at what you want, and then you build something from that. And at the time, I think the, the one person that influenced me most is probably Tim Ferriss, who back then had published his first book, uh, The 4-Hour the Workweek. Mm -hmm. And that was a book that combined a lot of the you know, business principles and, and marketing and stuff with some kind of like a philosophical perspective almost of why would you spend your life 
working 60 or 70 hours per week, as most entrepreneurs actually are doing. Isn't there a way in which you can organize your life so that you have time for what really matters? And what matters for you can differ, right? For, for Tim Ferriss, those were specific things that he wanted to pursue. And for me, that was something else. But this idea of creating a life in which I could do what I wanted to do and experience what I wanted to experience beyond work was quite revolutionary for me at that time. So this idea of like creating a business, creating a system that would then provide me with income so that I could pursue things that are meaningful and important to me, like human connection and relating to myself, understanding my traumas, healing, all these things take time and energy. And so that was something that I that I really took from from Tim Ferriss first book. I read his book too. <laughs> I go, how do you do a whole work week in four hours? <laughs> I know, right? It made sense because so much we we scatter our energies and don't bring it back to what it really is important to us. I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal about how many employees are quitting their jobs because they like yeah. being remote. They are reevaluating what they want in their lives. I totally understand that because I think that anything the pandemic made us think more about what's really important. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, Sonia, but for me, the pandemic in some way was also a blessing because yes. it suddenly gave me so much space and time to fully focus on myself. I was just sitting in my apartment. I was all alone. And that meant that suddenly I had no excuse anymore to not do the things that I wanted to do, like meditating every day, journaling every day, doing all kinds of rituals for myself every day, really doing that spiritual work, going deep. And I think the, the benefit of that cannot be overstated. You know, I've, I've really built this solid practice thanks to all this time that I had to spend alone in my apartment alone. Besides the devastation of people and their family dying, I really feel that this pandemic kind of taught us a lesson. There are people that picked up on the lesson and there are others that were very angry because of it. I thought it was a blessing. It made me really think about what's important and what I want out of my life. And I feel everybody around me was kind of going through the same thing. Many people started a business during the pandemic and now they're enjoying it. I have a regular job that I work remotely. It's only part-time, but it gives me the freedom to be able to do the podcast, to be able and not have to worry because I could do that job with my eyes closed. Don't tell my boss that. <laughs> I hope he's not listening to your podcast. <laughs> you all, no, he hasn't listened to it yet, but it's okay. I started this podcast during the pandemic. Same. <laughs> yeah. My podcast You're... is also a child of the pandemic. Now, what is your podcast about? Well, my podcast is called Relating to Self. Uh -huh. And it's all about exploring this question. How do people relate to themselves? What does that mean to them? What are their practices? What are their rituals? And so on the podcast, I invite people who I think have an interesting relationship with themselves. And I invite them to have a very open and very vulnerable conversation about that. It's always very different according to the guest. You know, there's no set path. I have no expectations. I mostly do it because I learn from it tremendously. Yes. 
Yes. And I also enjoy doing it. It's wonderful to have like deep conversations with people about a subject that you're both passionate about. You meet people from all over the world where I wouldn't have met them otherwise. True. I saw people doing the Black Lives Matter and marching and giving out food at the food banks and everybody was donating their time. And I said, you know, I'm not doing anything like that. What can I do to give back? And I thought that talking about the perceptions, how can I be inclusive for everybody? where they can work on them, their selves, and then that would affect how they go out into the world. And what I realized is that I also, I learned incredible amounts of information from my guests. So it actually worked, it was very beneficial for me. Yeah. Yeah. Plus there's this belief in me that no matter what you talk about, there's mm -hmm. probably someone out there who needs to hear that or who, who thinks that that is inspiring or who can do something with it. And yes. that's been really beautiful. And I've, I've had beautiful reactions as well of people saying like, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, your podcast, even if I don't know these people. And yeah. that's just incredible that you can connect with human beings on, on such a level. It's such a privilege to have their attention for like, whatever it is, 30 minutes, 45 minutes for a conversation. I think that's incredible that people give you that quality of attention. And I try to be very mindful of what I give to them in, in you know, I, I do my best <laughs> and I love doing it. Yeah, it's, I did see you had a podcast. I did not get a chance to listen to it, but I definitely will mm. now. And <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> because I do, I, I want to see what people are thinking. And I'm fascinated by people going into yourself and really realizing what you want. I also feel that acceptance makes it easier to accept others because you know hey we're just human absolutely we're working towards a better world even though some of us might be misguided if we don't work on ourselves we're not going to know if we're misguided or not yeah th there's this this idea that i come back to a lot which is compassion i know that i have been misguided so often in my past and to be honest i don't even know what misguided is i might be misguided right now and the people who I perceive as misguided might be right in their own way from their perspective. Exactly. So I think I'm cultivating a way of looking at the world that is non-judgmental and that is based on compassion. That is based on the idea that if I see someone doing something or acting in a certain way, I think these people probably have a good reason to behave like that. It's not like they're choosing to be assholes. I don't believe that. I believe people are hurt in many different ways. People have traumatic experiences, people act out, people react instead of acting. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's so much going on. And I'm compassionate with them because I've been there. <laughs> I've, I've been in that cycle of not being aware of what's going on, just having knee-jerk reactions to things that people throw at me, to what the world throws at me, not learning from my experiences and just feeling lost and confused. And yes. so, yeah, that's just a common human experience, I think. <laughs> that we can that we can embrace. And I think we have to go through that to get to this point. And yet then we learn from this point and get to another point. But exactly. you ends. can't really skip the steps. You have to understand and look at yourself in a more objective way so you can see what you're doing. You have to go through the steps. You can't make someone jump a step. There are no shortcuts. No. The only shortcut is, is really listening to yourself. That's the only shortcut I've found. 
And sure. yet we still have to make all the changes. Listening to what's within us, what was our passion? Some people say, I have no passion. And I'm like, well, what did you do as a little kid instinctively? Mm-hmm. Maybe start from there. What did you do that nobody had to tell you to do? And you did it anyway when you played or, you know, like I was always an entertainer when I was a little kid. So I knew that that was going to be part of me. How? I don't know how I was going to do that. But sometimes it's a good starting point, even though we change very much from a child. I feel our soul's journey kind of hints when we're a kid as to what we actually like. Yeah, there's there's definitely some early sensitivities that develop I think and you know for me clearly one of those sensitivities was sound I was intrigued by sound as a kid more than my other senses I imagine so that's kind of like what I built up (laughs) it's interesting but for me I think the concept of passion is also largely misunderstood or misused I don't I don't believe I care much about passion even for me it's it's what you said earlier it's acceptance of what is true And so what I try to do with myself as well in my relationship with myself is I cultivate compassion for myself. And if I feel that I don't have passion for anything at the moment, instead of judging that, I'm thinking like, hey, that's interesting. At the moment, I don't really feel any particular pull towards any specific subject. And that's okay. I will just sit with this and observe what happens. And I will surrender to that state of like not being passionate about anything. And invariably, something happens, you change. That's what I was just about to say. If once you stand in a place of where you don't have any passion for anything, then you become a blank slate. You could give it anything. Mm. You're open to whatever is there. If you think about not judging yourself saying, oh, I have to have a passion because Mm -hmm. that's being hard on yourself. And being hard on yourself has never helped anybody. Absolutely. Being a blank slate, I think helps. I became a blank slate for a while because I just didn't know what to do. And I did like you, I started meditating every day and I still meditate every day. And that's actually helped open up different avenues and different thoughts and given me aha moments. And I know you're a meditation teacher on Inside Timer. And I listen to some of your meditations and they're a lot about breathing. Bring the breath in. What does the breath signify to you? Wow, what a question. Thank you, Sonia. You're welcome. Well, obviously, there's there's two perspectives here that come to mind. One, the breath is life. You know, as long as we breathe, we are alive. As soon as we stop breathing, we're not alive anymore. So Mm -hmm. breath is life. It's very simple. It's one of the most important things that we have, our capacity to breathe. The other perspective being that, of course, since I'm a singer and a musician, the breath for me is also what the energy or the resource that makes it possible for us to express ourselves, Mm -hmm. to speak, to sing, to use our voices. And that's another of the one of these concepts that I use a lot in my meditations, that is the, the power of the voice. And that's literally just like the way that we use our breath to create vibration in the world. Literally, sound is vibration of air. So we use the breath to create a physical thing in the world, which I I think is, well, I would say it's magical, but it's not even magical. It's just, that's just how it is. And I think that's incredible. That's so beautiful. 
And so the breath and the voice are two of the central concepts that I use in my meditations, indeed. And I, I like your perspective on how it creates sound, creates energy. And it does because earth is based on energy. We can sense when someone's upset without even knowing them. We could just feel it and without them ha saying anything, we can sense it. Energy is so important. We disregard our own energy, but to put it into the vocal and to the voice, that's a beautiful energy because it does resonate. That's literally what it does. It resonates in your body. It resonates in the space. Mm -hmm. I've found that for myself, voicing thoughts, voicing desires, voicing doubts, voicing anything is an incredibly powerful way to one, examine them, experience them, and through that experience, examining what they are about, and two, to, to navigate them, to get a hold of them, to change them. Like I have this very simple ritual that I use often that is a forgiveness ritual. And I basically just state, I forgive myself, and then I forgive whoever needs to be forgiven in my head, you know? Mm -hmm. The difference between thinking about forgiving someone or writing about forgiving someone and then speaking about forgiving someone, even if that speaking is just for yourself in your own room, there is no comparison. The speaking is so powerful. And you probably, as, um, as a singer, I've, I've experienced this. I do the, the singing. Sometimes I do sound vibration. Mm -hmm. And I do practice the forgiveness. But there's something that clears in your chest from the vibration. It loosens that tightness or anger or judgment. And that's why I think when you say OM is such a, a powerful because it does vibrate within you. I understand the sound and it's true. I mean, I, I've listened to music that has made me cry, has made me laugh, has made me feel love. And so music, using that as an energy source is so powerful. When you do your meditations, I notice you do a pause in between them. Like you'll say, breathe or do this, and you do a pause. And I'm curious to know the pause. What does the pause mean to you? That's a really interesting question. I've never had that one before. <laughs> I think there is some, there's, there's two things here, Sonia, is that one, often in listening to guided meditations of other people, I feel rushed because people are wary of leaving pauses, of leaving space. Mm -hmm. So they will kind of like continuously speak. And that doesn't really work well for me. The other thing that I find is really important is that for me as a musician and as a human being, silence is so incredibly powerful and so incredibly important to me. Because in silence, can we begin to listen to ourselves? As long as we have external inputs, as long as we're hearing something or seeing something or sensing anything, we will be tempted to stay with our consciousness, with our awareness in whatever's happening around us. But if you take that away, and if suddenly there is silence, then you can start listening to what is in you. And you actually start feeling what's happening with your breath and with your body. And is there tension? What is happening in my body right now? And I think that's part of the reason why I leave these moments of silence, I would call them, 
And it's not that I have a, an intention to do so. You know, it's not like I've designed that that way. But I guess that's just what I do because that's what I need also. And I guess that's why it happens. With me as a meditator, I do guided. Sometimes I just do the, you know, soundscapes and meditate on my own. I go to the ones that talk more when my mind won't stop thinking. Mm, and I want someone else to smart. drown out what I'm thinking. <laughs> and yes. then I go to ones like you do when I need that centering. And then I do the soundscapes when I don't want to hear a voice, period. I just want mm. to be in tune with my thoughts and think. Yeah. As a meditation teacher, also there, I do the talking all the way through. But mine are only like really short. They're like five minutes. I think that's a great point you make. Meditation is not one thing. And many people have different needs. And even one person has different needs. I have the same. Sometimes my meditation is just sitting alone in silence for half an hour. Some other times I really feel like I need some guidance. I need like someone to facilitate some kind of meditation state. And then I listen to a guided meditation or something else. Sometimes I will meditate with some music, different kinds of music. And all of these meditations are very different in how they feel and what they accomplish. But all of them are valuable. And all of them, in their own way, are meaningful to me. Yes, they are with me too. In closing, what would you like to say to the audience that mm. we haven't talked about and directly to them? Thank you for that prompt, Sonia. I appreciate it. I think anyone listening to this, I would deeply encourage to ask themselves a simple question. How do I relate to myself? Am I kind to myself? Do I speak to myself with respect? Do I show up when I have promised something to myself? Can I trust myself? And from those simple questions, a whole world of possibilities will emerge to further explore and to further, I think, enliven our lives, make them richer, make them more beautiful. And so that's what I would encourage people to do. That's very beautiful because we do break our own promises. Like we put ourselves, like we're the last ones we keep our promises to. So that's that one I'm going to use myself. Beautiful. Thank you, Sonia. Yes. And how can people reach you? Yes. So I have a website that is very simple. It's relatingtoself.com. Mm -hmm. On the website, you can find a link to a program that I have created called Love for Weeks. That is an intentional practice of devoting a little moment every day to a self-love practice. You can find a link to the podcast, Relating to Self. It's available on most of the platforms. So you can just search for that. And then you can also subscribe to my email list so that you will keep in the loop about what I'm doing and what's going to happen. I have many more ideas of what I want to do with people and I'm still developing all those. It's, it's early stage. So if you feel excited, if you feel like this is something you'd be interested in, just subscribe to my email list and I will get in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the audience has gotten so much out of it going through your journey and it's a beautiful journey thank you so much sonia it was a pleasure to be here thank you for listening to the poetic resurrection podcast available on apple itunes spotify amazon music google music and many other podcast platforms 
Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.